0: Hey, um, if you uh, have been tracking with us as a church, you know that we are going through uh, the book of Psalms this summer. Uh, every week we get together and, and uh, we kind of give you, or I guess you could call it homework assignment, um, but every week there's about a section of 10 verses, or 10 chapters, not 10 verses, 10 chapters that we go through, uh, and we're encouraging you to read it at home, because we think, and we say this pretty much every week, um, we think more valuable than you coming in here and some rando dude, if you don't know me, then I'm, you know, a pastor, but still, you can call me a rando dude, Um, you hear some guy come and talk and say a bunch of stuff, and you don't know if you believe it or not, we think what's way more valuable than that is for you to go home and for you to read the Bible on your own, we think that's the most critical thing that you could do um, all week, is you spending time alone with God, seeking God out through His Word. And so, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, um, we've got some in the back for you. You don't have to go to get one now, but you're welcome to get one as you leave. If you don't have a Bible, or maybe you got a Bible at home, that's a transition translation that's a little bit difficult to read. We'd love for you to read along. Um, we're in the Book of Psalms now. If you, if you know much about Psalms, here's a good thing. Then you know. But if you don't know about this, then if you're looking for it and you've got your Bible and you just kind of showed up for the first time, and and you know you got the Bible because somebody told you you're going to church and you thought, okay, well, I'm going to church, I probably need a Bible. You know, it's kind of like, hey, let's go play baseball. It's like, okay, well, I need a glove. You know, so you kind of brought your Bible. You don't really know what much. It here's a good thing about psalms you just crack that bad boy to about the middle and you're probably about a 90 percent chance if you have good you know marginal direction then you're probably going to hit the book of psalms we're going to be in psalm chapter 90 now let me give you a little bit of backstory to psalm chapter 90 before we really get going psalm chapter 90 interestingly enough is not written by david many of the psalms that we read written by this guy named King David. Now, you, you might not be a Bible person, but you probably have heard of King David. David is the David from David and Goliath. After David beat Goliath, they wouldn't say, like, oh my gosh, you beat Goliath, you're king. There was a long transition that happened. There was a long period that happened. In fact, it covers a few books of the Bible. But David becomes the primary um, king. Well, he, not primary king. He is the king of the nation of Israel. But even more so than that, David becomes the primary writer of the book of Psalms. But in this particular psalm, there's a fellow by the name of Moses. And Moses writes Psalm 90, and in Psalm 90 says some, some, some very interesting words. Now Moses, again, Moses came decades and generations before David came along. Moses, in case you guys um, have ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, anybody ever seen that? Yeah, okay, good, a couple of us have. Um, anyway, so, so, so that's Moses, if you haven't seen it, then you can go, you know, watch it for yourself it, you know. Pretty interesting account. So anyways, so Moses is this guy who essentially was born as a Hebrew kid, um, but he was born in a population that was enslaved by the nation of Egypt, and the Egyptians kind of enslaved and used as slave labor all throughout their kingdom to kind of build these great monuments and do all kinds of different things. And so Moses was of this kind, and there's this big thing that happened where they're going to kill all the firstborn. Moses gets put in this little cradle, ends up crazy set of events getting raised in Pharaoh's house, and one day sees how one of his guys is treated and kills the Egyptian, scared, terrified for his entire life, and dips out, runs into the desert, gets taken by this, you know, pack of, you know, kind of wilderness people, if you will. And as he's out there, he gets a call from God and says, go, Moses, I want you to go back. And I want you to let my people, look at you, you're so Bible-y, it's unbelievable, so he said, you know, let, yeah, let my people go, you got it. And he goes back to Egypt, and there's ten plagues. And as these ten plagues are happening, some, you know, some, some really interesting kind of crazy stuff happens. And as Moses goes through, eventually Pharaoh decides to let the people go. It wasn't really an easy battle. It was kind of a, you know, he felt like he had no other choice. And then he regretted his decision, and so Pharaoh's army chased Moses into the desert. They tried to do him in the part of the Red Sea. You guys remember maybe that? You know, all of a sudden Moses you know, puts his staff out in the sea parts. Has anybody, by the way, ever tried to get real spiritual one day? I had a guy who did this. I had a guy who was like, okay, I got an idea. I'm going to pray. And one of two things is going to happen. Well, one of three things, really. Um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that God would do a miracle. And I'm going to pray that God would do a miracle, and he would either part the lake that I'm about to walk into... I would walk on water, I'm going to get my loafers real wet, right? One of the three things, in fact, let me just take my shoes off just in case, and so he prayed, and as you can, you know, guess, he got his feet real wet. He didn't have anything happen, but Moses, you know, God says, Moses, I want you to go into this, you know, thing, and, and so he parts the sea, and Pharaoh's army dies, and all this stuff, and Moses' army, or Moses' people, the nation, the nation of Israel, is now wandering through the desert looking for the promised land. And a good way into that, scholars believe, Moses wrote psalm chapter 90 now something you got to know at this point in moses's life moses is a pretty old fella at this point in moses life moses isn't a spring chicken anymore and there's some debate as to how old he was and when exactly he wrote this but at some point moses kind of for you and i is giving us anybody maybe know this the grandparent wisdom you got that grandparent that like their goal in life is to impart wisdom into your life and some of it's like grandma you don't know how to use a keyboard i'm not sure how this is going to work out. But then they just say some stuff that's very, very, and you've experienced this. They say something, maybe when you were young, you didn't like it. Maybe when you were kind of, you know, in middle school, you didn't like it. It's like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Grandma, you don't know what you're talking about. But the older you get, you think back and you say, you know what? I think they were right. I think they were right. And what Moses is essentially going to say, let me, let me kind of give you the cliff notes to this whole thing. What Moses is going to say is your life is short. Your life is short. Your life is short. My life is short. Our lives are short. It's the temptation for you and I to feel like we have forever. And let me tell you, the younger you are, the more that you feel like this. The younger you are, the more you feel like you have forever to live because, you know, statistically probability probably do have longer to live. But all of us, all of us have this tendency. And here's our tendency. To overestimate the amount of time that we have on earth. And as a result, you and I have a tendency to waste time. Now, let me, let me tell you how I know that. Because for many of you, you're in summer right now. And you're just hanging and chilling. And life is just like, I'm going to go somewhere not before 11 o'clock because I don't get up before 10.30. And even when I wake up at 10.30, I just kind of chill for a while. And you've got like a set of things to do throughout the day. And when it's school year and you have like, you know, I have tests, I have exams, I have work, I have tests, I have exams, I have work. You know, I got, you know, community group, I got this or I've got that. And your day is structured and you just not got crap to do. But isn't it true for you during the summertime, that's like the most unproductive time. You can have one thing to do during the day and you don't get it done. And you look back and you're like, I did not do crap. Like, I just, you know, up Netflix user rating about 100% today because that's literally all I did today. I watched Netflix and I watched Netflix and I watched Netflix. I don't know if you've ever been in this position where you have so much time you don't even eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I'm going to go get something, and then you realize it's about one30 like, oh, it's just so late. And then it's like 2 o'clock, it's like, it's just so late. But you continue to say, like, play the next episode. And so you watch the next episode, and about 2.30 or 3 o'clock rolls around. And then you kind of have this moral, it's not really a moral conundrum, maybe it's just an inner conundrum, where you're like, okay, I'm going to have to eat dinner at some point. And if I grub at like 4, I want to have dinner, but I don't, I can't really have a full meal, so I'm kind of going to have a half meal. And then you just mess up your entire day. You don't even eat right when you have time or when you think you have time. But isn't this true? When you know, when you know that you only have so much time and you have so much to get done, you are such a better steward of your time. When you feel like you have all the time in the world, when you feel like you have all the time to do maybe one thing or maybe two things, you waste your time. But when you feel like you've got only a short amount of time and you've got so many things, You get efficient. You become effective. And so Moses, Moses, in Psalm chapter 90, is looking into this nation of Israel and writes this psalm and imparts wisdom. And in verse 12, he's going to say something that I think, man, this is what's interesting about this. I think regardless of what you believe, because some of you walked in this morning and you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been going to church and you've been showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up. I think this really has the power to drastically impact your life. But here's the cool part. If you're in here this morning and you don't know about the Bible, you don't know about Christianity, you don't know if you believe in this dude named Jesus, I mean, come on, who could believe in a guy that walked around a couple thousand years ago that was kind of a part of antiquity, that supposedly did some miracles, that supposedly rose from the dead? But I mean, come on, who can prove it? Let alone who would put their faith, their hope, and their trust of their salvation of their entire life in that? And the exclusivity? I mean, come on. That's just tough. And here's the cool thing. Regardless of where you are, Today, regardless of where you are, what Moses has to say, what the scriptures say, through this account of what Moses wrote, has the ability to so radically impact your life. If you let it, not all of us are going to let it, but if you let it, it honestly has the potential to change the trajectory of your and my life so let's let's get cracking psalm chapter 90 a prayer of moses the man of god so he starts out with this kind of you know god let me me tell you some cool stuff about you verse 1 Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, oftentimes when they would write in the Psalms, they would kind of start with some declaration of God, you're good. So, before God, I get into the honest part of this. Let me just tell you, God, I love you, I appreciate you, I respect you. Verse three. This is kind of the thesis statement for the rest of the Psalm. You return man to dust. And say, return, O children of man. So, of us, here, so, so here's the subject of this whole thing. You return, God. You return man to dust. Though we all are born, we all kind of are created, we all start off at some point, but eventually, eventually, we're all going to die. I remember sitting at a funeral one time. It was, this would be very insensitive if I was close to the person, but I was there for someone who I knew, who I was supporting them. It was with another person who was there that they knew, so they were supporting another person whose family member had died. We're overlooking, you know, the, the, the kind of the funeral side. If you've ever been to one, you go to the funeral and you go to the actual graveside. Remember looking, and what he says, you know what? Eventually, we all end up there. We like to think that we're gonna live forever, we like to feel like we're gonna live forever, but eventually, eventually. He says, We all return to dust, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or a watch or as a watch in the night. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass. This is renewed in the morning. He's talking about our life and he says, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and withers. So he starts out and he says, this, hey, just so you know, just so you know, God, this, this, this is what I'm realizing as a nation of Israel. This is what I'm realizing as I was kind of had a, had a shaky birth and I got put in a canal and I got put in the Pharaoh's house and I grew up in Pharaoh's house and then I ran away from Pharaoh's house and then I came back to Pharaoh's house and I delivered the nation of Israel. And this is kind of what I'm realizing, God. This is what I'm realizing about life. This is a major life lesson for me. That at the end of the day, I'm kind of like grass. At the end of the day, I'm going to return to dust. At the end of the day, there's going to be some time that I wither away. And for me, it feels like forever. but for God you and you in your sight, a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, like an evening, like an afternoon. And we love to talk about let me pause. We love to talk about that verse in terms of creation. That maybe that's the explanation behind whatever, whatever, whatever. But let me tell you. That's not the purpose of the verse. The verse is for Moses to say, all that stuff aside, the verse is for Moses to say, God, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to live forever. But when I think about eternity, my life is very short. My life is like a day, not a lot of days. Not a year, not decades. It's like a day. Grass comes up in the morning, and it withers at night. And that's it. He says, In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins. In light of your presence. Verse 9, for all our days pass under your breath. And we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Now, there's a guy, if you're familiar with the Bible, it was a guy named James, who talked about this thing, this same exact idea. And he says, God, who can tell you? Who can tell you what's going to happen today? Who's going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow? None of us can. In fact, God, our life, our life, it's like a mist. It's here, and then it's gone. It's here, and then it's gone. In all of our lives, and this is a bit of a difficult realization to come to, all of our lives, no matter how old you are, no matter how old I am, no matter how old we are, are almost always shorter than we think. And again, the younger you are, the more difficult it is for this to have an impact on your life. The older it is, the more intuitive it is. And the reason is because when you were 20 or you were 10, you were 10 years old, and you thought, man, 20 year olds, they're like giants. They're huge. They're adults. I'm, you know, 20, man, that's just so old. And then you turn 20 and you realize you're not that old. But then you look at 20 and you're like, man, 30-year-olds, those jokers are out there. You know what I mean? Like, put them out the pasture. Good grief. Who are these guys? You know, do they even know how to use a smartphone? I mean, come on, 30-year-olds, are you kidding me? And then you wake up one day and you're 30 and you're like, you know, I feel like I'm 20 but my back doesn't always feel like I'm 20 anymore. My knees don't feel like I'm 20 anymore. If I jump off anything higher than a curb, you know, my, nothing in my body feels like it's 20 anymore. Now I'm, I'm not super old, but 32, and I'm looking at it saying, man, I thought 40 was like a million when I was 20. I was like, are you kidding me? 40-year-olds? Get out of here. That's like my dad's dad, practically. You know what I mean? You're just, they're like a million years old. I'm looking at it like, I'm closer to 40 than I am to 20 at this point in my life. Like, that's bananas to me. But I'm sitting there looking at it. And imagine when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60. The older you get, the more time that you have behind your belt. And the more you can look back and see how fast time goes. And when you're young, it's not because you're dumb. It's not because you're ignorant. It's not because you're bad. You just haven't had as much time to look back and see how quickly time goes. And so Moses looks at this whole thing and said, man, our lives, our lives, our lives are infinitesimally short. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to end like a sigh, verse 9. The years of our lives, let's put this in real perspective, the years of our lives are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, they are gone soon. And we fly away. And who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. Now. Let me tell you who loves this so far. Some of you, you know, you showed up and and maybe you're here for the first time and this is a bit of an odd way to start the whole sermon thing because you're sitting there saying, "Okay, so great. So we're all going to die. Sweet. Let's let's pray and go home. Cook out afterwards, you know. Eat some sausage, who cares? We're going to die." This is like this is like the uh i don't know why i've had this this thought in my head ever since i started studying for this i kind of have this this thought there's this like high school girl she's about 16 years old her boyfriend just broke up with her for the first time and she's in a room crying listening to like dust in the wind anybody done that before don't admit it don't raise your hand please that's embarrassing but you're sitting there saying okay yeah you know it's all gonna pass we're just dusting That, that that's like the only time in life that this is comforting but Moses is speaking to these people who honestly, there's a couple of different ways that they probably would have interpreted this, many of them are in the desert many of them are never going to outlive the desert and for part of them Moses is saying, hey, I know it's tough, I know it's difficult, I want you to continue to endure, I want you to continue to endure, I want you to continue to endure because this life is temporary this life is temporary, no matter how bad the pain is, no matter how awful it is no matter how painful, no matter how much you wish you were back in Egypt, nation of Israel I want you to know that this, this this is temporary, but we are going to somewhere that's eternal. This is temporary, but we are going to somewhere that's internal. And he speaks to the people and he says, so, in verse 12, and this is, let me just tell you, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know pastors say that all the time, and I got a few verses that are my favorite verses in the Bible, but this is, especially in the Psalms, one of probably three or four of my absolute favorite, and here's why. Because this is so insightful into how I think. This is so insightful into Causing me to think about my life how I wouldn't normally think about it. So, this is what Moses says in verse 12. So, in other words, in view of all that, in view of the fact that your life is short and my life is short, in view of the fact that we're all going to die, in view of the fact that our life is like a mist, in view of the fact that our life is like a breath, in view of the fact that our life is like grass, you know, here and then gone. So, teach us to number our days. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain or get a heart of wisdom. Now, here's the principle. If you know that your life is short, you will be a good steward of your life. If you think your life will last forever, you will be a bad steward of your life. Moses is looking at this and saying, God, I'm I'm, I'm still an old guy. I grew up in Egypt, yeah, I did that whole thing. I had the desert the first time, yeah, that whole thing. I went back to Egypt, I had that whole thing, and now I'm back in the desert, and I've been back in the desert for a while. And God, I know my days aren't long, but teach me to number my days. Because if I can remember that my life is short, if I can remember that my life is brief, brief, It's going to impart wisdom into my life. And here's how. When you realize that your days are numbered, when you realize your days are numbered and you don't have much time, it gives you perspective. It gives you a new lens or a new grid through which you view the rest of your life. And you view all the decisions of your life. You see, isn't this true? When you were in high school, for some of you, there's some things that you would say and so there's some things that you wouldn't say. There's some things that you did about yourself, some ways that you dressed, some ways that you talked, some way that you thought, some people that you hung out with because you wanted to impress a bunch of people and then you graduated and you haven't talked to any of those people. In fact, the only people that you've talked to are the people that you already would have talked to which would have cared, which would have hung out with you regardless if you look like a weirdo or not. We were talking about this the other day, I can't remember, I think I was talking with Micah about this. We're talking in our community group. And he was saying, you know, if I could go back and do high school again, I would do so many things differently. I would have thought differently. I wouldn't have cared about what anybody said. I would have talked to everybody. I just wouldn't have cared as much as I cared. But in high school, that's your entire world. That's your entire life. You think that everything that happens affects the trajectory of your life. And if you can look at your life in high school, if you can look at your life in college, if you can look at your life as you work, in the job, in the marketplace, at home, and you can realize that your life is not forever, that your life is not short, you will realize how critical it is for you not to waste the one life that you have. Because you get the perspective. That life isn't forever. You get the perspective that this isn't going to last. So let me me, me ask a couple questions to kind of get some some brain juices flowing, if we will. What have you been putting off because you feel like you have forever to deal with it? What have you been putting off because you feel like you have forever to deal with it? Let me ask this a couple different ways. Because a lot of times we think of like a negative connotation. So let's go there first. What have you been putting off negatively? What confrontations have you been putting off? What work have you been putting off? What you know, little inner character things have you been putting off dealing with and working on because you felt like you had forever? What have you been putting off? What conversations do you need to have? Because you feel like you have forever. What are those little character issues right now that you have? That you feel like aren't that big of a deal. But truth be told. They're going to become a bigger and a bigger and a bigger and a bigger deal. And you only have one life to live. So don't waste it. Don't let these little character issues become big character issues. But you feel like you have forever to work on it. Let me ask you this. What dream or what dreams has God given you? What dream or what dreams has God given you? That God wants to make a dynamic impact in your life. But you haven't started because you feel like you have forever. You haven't begun the pathway because you feel like you have forever. Now let me me tell you why I care about this a lot. Because many of you are young. Many of you are young. And the earlier you get this, the more it has the potential to change your life. And the reason I care about it is because I care about how Christians look. I know that sounds silly because we can't really control every Christian, but I can maybe at least have influence on this group. And Christians, by a large part, are seen as a group of people who are just passive. Or maybe sometimes we're not passive, maybe just all we do is talk. We don't do. We don't live. We don't love. We're not proactive. We're vocal on Facebook. But are we active in the community? We're vocal on social media. But are we active in our lives of loving our neighbor, of loving the lowest and the least and the lost? Doing what Jesus did. Which is to go find the people that no one else in culture, no one else, that no one else in society would deal with, would help, would love, would serve. And loving them and helping them and serving them and loving them the most. And I think the reason is because we feel like we have forever. And we feel like someone else is going to do it. We feel like someone else is going to go. Someone else is going to love. Someone else is going to help. Someone else is going to serve. <laughs> let, me, let me, just plead with you for a second. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. The entire just so you know the vision of this church is not that we would have a bajillion people at our church and we would just have more and more and, more and more and more and more and more and more people. The vision of our church is you, as individuals. In fact, the way that we say it is we believe that you are uniquely wired and gifted to do something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. That we believe inside each and every one of you, God has given a wiring and he has given a gifting. To do something extraordinary that you can leverage for the kingdom of God. And let me break that down a little bit. And we do this from time to time. That he has given you and gifted you and wired you with something that you're good at. Now, that doesn't mean church-wise good at. Maybe some of you, you know, you're an unbelievable greeter and we think you should be on the greeter team. Maybe for some of you, that's you know, you're an unbelievable uh, you know, kid person and so, you know, go hang out with our kiddies. You know, maybe for you, but it, it's nothing to do with church. Maybe for you, you're an unbelievable lawyer. Maybe for you, you are an unbelievable accountant. And man, you are just just meticulous numbers make sense to you dollars make sense to you cents make sense to you go with me on that one thanks for the gratuitous you know giggle anyways you know for 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 some of you man that's like your thing and here's what we're saying here's what we're saying use that, leverage that, and not even like use that and leverage that so come to the church and be our accountant that's not what we're saying at all, maybe God has given you the gift of being an unbelievable accountant and your ministry is to be the best stinking accountant in the history of Tallahassee so that other people who are younger accountants are someday going to look at you and say that guy's a phenomenal accountant and you can look at them and say I'm a phenomenal accountant but it's not because I'm good, it's because I am empowered, I feel like God has given me a gift and I just want to steward this gift And here, let me introduce you to my my God. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything that you ever do inside of the church. But all of us have a tendency to have a gifting and to have a wiring and not leverage it for God's kingdom or not leverage it at all. But we think he's given you something that you're good at and that you can make an extraordinary impact. That doesn't mean a big impact. That means that you can have an inordinate, a more than ordinary impact in something You know, last week we talked about this idea that God is the primary focus and that everything else is just kind of details. we talked about how it's so easy to get caught up in the details, how it gets so easy if you're in the marketplace especially, to get caught up in profitability. we have this illustration that all this stuff is like shoestrings. Money is like shoestrings. Shoestrings are important. Sure, you want to tie your shoes. But at the same time, I'm not going to spend my life, if I can have the, the choice between my daughter and my shoestrings... Like, I'll wear flip-flops. Who cares? Because I love my daughter, and that's the primary focus. But maybe for you, you're in the business, you're in the marketplace, and God has made you an unbelievable shoestring collector. Like, it seems like everything you do, you just have bigger margins. It seems like everything you do, you're just going to collect more and more and more and more shoestrings. And let me tell you, that is a phenomenal thing. Because God has given that to you to steward that, to make a difference for his kingdom, to know that your life is short, that you can't take any of this with you. And so use that, leverage that, be generous with that, because God has given you that. Whatever your gifting is, wherever your passion takes you, wherever your gifting takes you, you should never feel bad. You should always feel responsible. And so Moses, looking into this nation, I think is saying something very clear this morning. That wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your tendency is, all of our tendency is the same, which is to think that we have all the time in the world. So what are you putting off? What are you not leveraging? What has God given the gifts and the talents and the abilities and that you're not using? Maybe because you think you're unusable. Maybe because you think there's no way to use that for God's kingdom. Maybe just because you feel like you have all the time in the world, so what's the rush? If you're in here and you're 15 years old, if you're in here and you're 17 years old, let me just tell you, right now you're exploring. You're exploring what your gift is. You're exploring what God's given you a gift for, a passion for. So do everything you can to learn if you're 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 you're deciding but don't think that because you're in the process of deciding you can't make it different now you know there's people all across some of you guys know joe pelt joe's a goofball but he decided i'm just going to get a couple fellas together maybe a girl or two i don't know and we're just going to ride and we're going to ride our bikes and they started this thing called the well ride i think they might be biking right now as a matter of fact Joe was on the news. He's the goofiest guy probably to ever hit the news in the world. Here, here's the good news this morning: if Joe can make a difference, you can make a difference. <laughs> if you don't remember anything else, maybe that's your takeaway. If Joe Pelt from Perry, Florida, with the Perry Mud Bog, can make a difference. I promise you, you can. If God could take a guy named Ben, <laughs> who is freshman year in high school, had a GPA of .0, 0 something. Started out with four Fs and three Ds. I didn't play sports for the first two years in high school because I couldn't. Barely graduated. Didn't get into business school at Florida State. Had to to drive to Florida State's Panama City campus because I was just so terrible in school. Not because I wasn't smart, because I didn't try. Because I thought, who cares? If he can start churches and run businesses with me, I mean, come on. I promise you you're smarter than me when I was at your age. God can use you. God wants to use you. God is going to use you if you allow him and if you let him. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing about this whole idea. I kind of want to wrap this up with this. God has given you a short time here on earth. And God himself saw this, knew this. And he looked into humanity And saw that one of our tendencies with all of our time is going to be to try to prove our way, to earn our way into God's good graces. And so he sent his son Jesus. And when he sent his son Jesus, he didn't send his son Jesus so that we could say, oh, there's Jesus, cool. He sent his son Jesus into the world. Not just to simply say, I'm God and I'm here. But to spend his life. To leverage his life. To give his life eventually, for our lives. So that you and I, because of the fact that you're sinful and I'm sinful and we're all sinful, our sins might be different, our sins might be the same. But because of our sins, we have been alienated from God. He's just too whole and he's too perfect to have sinful us in his presence. And so he sent his son Jesus to take away all that sin. And when he did that, when he died on the cross, when he gave his life, he said, I'm not done. I'm going to take the next step. And I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to overcome death so that you know, that you know that you can do the same. So that you know that I have already done something extraordinary for you. I have already given my life for you. I've already conquered death for you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that gifting. I want you to take that wiring. I want you to take that power. And I want you to leverage that. Not for your own kingdom. Not for your temporal kingdom. Because temporal kingdoms wouldn't make sense. Why would I spend all of my 70 years trying to make my 70 years as good as they can to get to heaven someday and realize that that 70 years was just a breath. It's gone. And I spent my entire life trying to build a kingdom of something that's not going to matter when I could spend my entire life trying to build the kingdom of the only thing that matters, the only thing that will last forever. And that's the name of Jesus that will reverberate through the corridors of heaven for the rest of eternity. And I can use my short time, my breath, my here for a little bit and then gone to do everything I can to try to make my kingdom great, to try to use the gifting and the wiring and the passion that God's given me. Or I can use it for something that's actually going to last. And through his son Jesus gave access to our heavenly father to say, whoever... Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Whoever places their faith, whoever places their hope, whoever places an active trust in me for their salvation will have eternal life. Now we're going to end this morning this way. We're going to take communion together. And Here's why I love ending services with communion. Because communion celebrates the night. Right before Jesus died. Jesus got together with his closest crew. In Jesus' life, which was only a few years, which only a few years of those few years were leveraged to just public, public, public ministry. But he spent his years of public ministry going completely for building the kingdom of God. And he sat at the Last Supper and said, fellas, let me tell you how this is gonna go down. My body... Is going to be broken and my blood is going to be shed but when that happens I want you to know it's going to be done for you and so when you meet together when you take this supper together I want you to do this in remembrance of me I want you to do this in remembrance of the time that I gave my life for you I want you to be thankful for it sure But I think the heart of the Last Supper, as we look back through years, as we look back through antiquity, is to be inspired. I think it's to be inspired by a God who would be so selfless that he would give himself. I think it's inspired to have a God who would look back and who would give his life so that you could be a part of his kingdom. I think it's inspiring to look back at a God who gave his life so that you could spend your life in my life, in our lives, patterning our lives, building our lives, focusing our lives around Jesus. So we're going to in a second have some people come up. The way we do this, by the way, I always got to give this word of how it works. You just kind of get up randomly as you want to Christian, then, man, don't don't feel like you need to or obligated to. In fact, if you, only if you're a Christian. Not to make you feel weird or anything, but just because what this symbolizes is that you're saying, Jesus, if you would do that for me, if this would be the focus of your life, if you would give your life for me, then I'm going to give my life back to you. So I want you to get up, come take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice. We're not all drinking loogie soup this afternoon. And then take it. And here's what I want you to pray when you do. And this is just kind of the last thing. When you when you take it when you eat it. I want you to just remember. And I want you to pray this prayer. And say, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And I'm going to pray for you that God gives you the wisdom to know what to do with that. He knows the he'll give you the wisdom to know what to pursue. He'll give you the wisdom to know what to think. He'll give you the wisdom to know what confrontation he wants you to have. He'll give you the wisdom to know how he wants you to begin to leverage your gifts for his kingdom. But God first. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, on the night that you died, you gathered your disciples together. You broke the bread and you said, take, eat. This is my body that's broken for you. You take the cup and you said, take, drink. This is my blood that was shed for you. And the next day, you gave your body and you gave your blood to wipe away all of our sins. To forgive us when we felt like we were unforgivable. Not to condemn us, but to give us life in you. And so God, I pray for all my friends, all my brothers, all my sisters in here this morning who may be walked in and the reality of their life is they felt unlovable, unforgivable. And as much as time makes sense, the truth is they just need forgiveness. They just need you. And God, I ask and I pray as we drink and as we eat, our hearts can do it in remembrance of you. Our hearts can remembrance and do this in in, in you who had a short life, who were killed in the middle of your life, but leveraged your entire life, who knew that you only had a certain amount of time, And you leveraged everything in your life, your short time, for us and for the furthering of your kingdom. And so God, I pray that as we take this, as we eat and as we drink, our hearts would simply say, God, teach us, teach us, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days, to give us a heart of wisdom because we know the more time that we feel that we have, the worse stewards we are, but the less time we have and the more stuff we have to accomplish, the, the better stewards we have and you've given us a lot to accomplish here on earth. There's a lot of hurting here on planet earth. There's a lot of suffering here on planet earth. There's a lot of people who need you, who don't know you, people who feel unforgivable, who have been forgiven, people who feel unlovable, who are so lovable and you've given us a lot to do. So help us to be stewards of the gifts, of the talents, of the abilities. That we would leverage those and we would not get to heaven having wasted our lives, spending our entire life championing a name that at the end of the day is going to not last. But the one name that's going to last forever, which is Jesus. Please, please, please help us to number our days that we will gain a heart of wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray.